Hello and welcome to session four on our well-being journey. And so far we've looked at both our well-being mindset and our physical well-being. And today we're looking at our emotions. And for a lot of us, when you say well-being, actually you immediately think emotions. Do I feel happy, sad, content? Am I feeling positive or negative at the moment? And I guess the big question, is there anything I can do to take control of these or are they just purely chemical reactions in my brain? Joanna. How are you feeling today? Oh, Simon, I feel good. <laughs> da, 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 da. I need a lash it now. Oh, yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. No, Simon, I'm feeling really good. I'm eating an apple because last week we did physical well-being and I was going to have a cookie, but I'm being good. So here it is. Do you know what? Our emotions are so, so important. Has there ever been a moment where you've just reacted and responded completely irrationally, didn't even have all the facts, and before you know it, you're having a terrible day and your emotions have just taken over? I mean, I know I have. There is totally no magic fix for this, but is there a good level of emotional health that we can get? Maybe there is. We're going to talk about it today. But first, we're off to speak to Dan, who's going to tell us his story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? And when I was 17, I suddenly had quite a rough experience uh, of anxiety. I went to a concert um, and suddenly had a panic attack, which was like the first time I'd ever had one. I didn't really know what was going on at all. <laughs> and suddenly like, was overcome with this like, sense of fear um, and anxiety. And I remember just at that moment thinking I was going to die. I kind of thought that was, that was it at that point, which was very overwhelming, very scary. And, and quite terrifying. Eventually, like that lasted for about four years, like at that kind of heightened uh, time. Just didn't really know what to do and, and felt really lost. And how did that change? What changed? That change really happened in, I guess, like 2018. And I'd just gone for a breakup and whilst it was like I didn't feel like I needed that. <laughs> I actually was like really attached to that relationship. But actually that was like the kick to I guess restart. Just felt the urge to like try and get better. I started to start running which really helped with like my emotional um, well-being I guess and and suddenly started to make me feel a lot more positive about that experience. Um, and along with that I was like invited to church by a friend which never in a million years did I think I'd set foot in a church. <laughs> And I went along and it like was so helpful. There was so much change in me. Like what I did feel was like a really big sense of like hope that things were going to get better and, and things were going to change. Yeah, and what about now? How do you cope with your uh, emotional well-being? The thing with anxiety is like, I mean, it 100% can go away and like it, it will. And I'm still so confident in the fact that like eventually it will kind of dip below a level where it doesn't really come back anymore. That's great. Dan, thanks so much for sharing with us. That was awesome. Wow, what a story. You know, fear is such a powerful emotion. It can completely paralyze us. But hearing Dan's journey with this and how he's learned to manage some really, really tough times in his life gives me a hope for all of us in need of improving our emotional well-being. It is possible. Right, I'm off to London now. I'm gonna be catching up with Will van der Haar. Will is the founder of Mind and Soul Foundation, which aims to educate, equip, and encourage people around the whole topic of mental health. 
why do emotions matter so much? Emotions are language that enables us to articulate our experience. And um, we all have emotions because emotions are also in the heart of God. John 11:35, Jesus wept is the shortest verse of, for me, the most comforting verse in the Bible. Because it's saying actually, God knows. He emotionally articulates experience. And you know, we, as we go through life, emotionally articulate our experience. It's the way we converse and connect. It's a bit like taking the temperature in a pool. It's too cold, yeah. you know, or it's, it's too hot. You know, you can't condemn the thermometer for expressing its experience in the water. And for us, we, we experience, you know, moments of anger, deep grief, deep joy, happiness. Those emotions, they articulate our experience in life and, and they're God-given, they enable us. But why sometimes when we are articulating some of those emotions, do we end up feeling bad for doing exactly that? Well, obviously, we're socialised into believing that some of the emotions that we're having are, are good emotions. And we label more difficult feelings as bad feelings, when actually they're not bad. They're no worse than saying the temperature is hot or the temperature is cold. Emotions that we call bad often help us to articulate difficult experiences. So if you lost a loved one, as, as you have, grief is a really important emotion that enables us to articulate what that loss actually looks like. Actually, not grieving would be more problematic than grieving. Yeah. Not emoting is more of a problem than emoting a little too much. And what does too much look like? It really looks like too much emotion. It's normally about the action that flows out of the emotion. So when we feel angry, we should feel anger fully. Anger and happy are actually two sides of the same emotion. But it's what we do with the anger that's important. If we don't allow ourselves to have the freedom to express whatever given emotion we're feeling at the time, what are the possible negative impacts on us? Well, psychologists always talk about three evils and they're suppression, repression and denial. So this is the idea that actually we either consciously or unconsciously force down the emotions that we're experiencing. And if emotions are an ability to articulate our experience, effectively what we're doing is we're becoming disconnected from the real experiences that we're having. And that is problematic for a number of reasons. It's problematic socially, because actually we're living in denial of other people's emotional experiences and reactions. It's problematic personally, because actually we've lost sight of our own reality. And it's problematic in terms of our growth, because we're failing to acknowledge that we've gone through a particular season of difficulty. So I think an important part of emotional well-being is, is acknowledgement and connection with the reality of our struggles as well as our joys. Ultimately, I believe God's called us to flourish, and flourishing is about growing and being aware of ourselves in any setting, to manage life's challenges in a way that continues to facilitate our growth. Most people experience difficult seasons in life, and their resilience is a measure of their ability to continue to grow through those experiences. It doesn't mean those experiences are easy, it means that they are continuing to grow through those experiences. We know that it's healthy to be able to express our own emotions. When you're dealing with people who are struggling to do that, how do you encourage people to express themselves more emotionally? To be honest, I would say the most fundamental means by which we might grow an emotional expression is by sitting with people who actually want to listen to us. Right, yeah. Internally, the primary narrative that people experience is, I'm being silly and no one wants to know how I feel. And so what we tend to do, particularly this is a very British narrative, is 
push down emotion because emotion is humiliating, project false strength as if I'm not moved by my experience, and hopefully, you know, I can get through by being a kind of closed book. Um, that's not helpful. What is helpful is sitting with people who actually want to listen, who want to listen non-judgmentally, and want to give you an opportunity to articulate how you feel with, with helpful questioning. And being fully alive emotionally, it's not about having loads and loads of really heady, wonderful emotions all the time. It's about being fully aware of all of the emotions that I'm having. If I had a message, maybe particularly to men, but, but to women too, about the emotions, it's to recognise that emotions aren't a judgement against you, they're a blessing for you to be able to articulate your life fully, a full life, which is interpreted emotionally, spiritually and physically. The key thing is, are we being authentic to the way in which God has created us? So Will has been mentioning how our emotional well-being can have a very serious impact on the rest of our lives. And as we keep on coming back to, all of these things are connected. Our physical well-being, our emotional health, our mindset are all connected. One impacts the other, which can impact another. Now, I guess you're probably like me, we can all at times feel just that little bit low, but how do we get out of too much negative thinking? How do we tip the scales back into being a little bit more positive? Well, you might remember that in session one, we spoke to Dr. Roger Bretherton, who's the senior lecturer in psychology at Lincoln University. And Joe has been back to see him to check out the sites of Lincoln, but also speak to him about the power of positive thinking. Meanwhile, I'm off to Stoke Newington to catch up with Rosemary. Joanna. Hi Roger, so good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you again. You even got me a hot water. Indeed, yeah, you straight there. I know, I remembered your drink. Thank you. <laughs> now, Lincoln, I'm back. You're back. How's your well-being journey going? It's going well, but <laughs> last time I, you told me that Lincoln was beautiful. It is beautiful, but it's wet. Yeah. Is that a Lincoln thing? Well, it's a good job we're going to talk about positive things today, isn't it? Because yeah. I think you might need to hear about them. <laughs> well, we are today we're all thinking about our emotional well-being. And I know this is kind of your area of expertise, yeah. isn't it? So I've got some questions for you. Sure. Okay, are you ready? Yep. Right now. So sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I you know, you can wake up just feeling a certain way. And I just notice that my emotions can shape my day. So whether that's good or bad. It can just, if I don't kind of catch what I'm thinking or feeling, it can just really send my day off in a yeah. certain direction. Talk to me about positive and negative emotions. Well, well that's it, isn't it? That, that our emotions affect every part of us. You know, some psychologists say we're always in a mood. That's what it means to be human. You know, you've always got kind of your emotions going on. Yeah. If you think about the, the emotions we usually think as bad or negative, so things like shame, fear, anger, etc. The, the reason we call them bad is because they have really, really strong action tendencies attached to them. That's what psychologists call it. So uh, shame wants to hide, fear wants to run, anger wants to fight. And they're designed to do things for us really, really quickly, get things done. But then our positive emotions don't have those. So when you start thinking about things like gratitude, gladness, peace or serenity, all, all those kind of positive things, they don't have those things attached to them. In fact, what happens when you feel good emotions, positive emotions in those ways, is firstly your awareness broadens, so right. it's almost like you become bigger as a result right. of having those emotions. 
And then secondly, they build you. So when the bad stuff comes your way, if you've had a moment of hope or a moment of love, a moment of gratitude, you're gonna be able to deal with those difficult things so much better. How does our kind of attitude to life in general affect our emotional well-being? That's a great, great, great question because our attitude very often kind of contains an emotion on some level. So there's quite a famous psychology experiment that's been done right across the country over the last few years called Attitude for Gratitude. Okay. And it's basically saying that if we, for example, practice gratitude daily in really simple ways, three blessings, uh, compare how, how today was to maybe a day that was worse and be glad about the good things that we've seen. Yeah. I, I mean, the research over and over and over and over again says that if you take on a grateful attitude like that, not only does it do you psychological good, not only does it do you physical good in terms of its, got its effects, all kinds of heart rate and all kinds right. of things like that, um, but also if, if you're doing that over time, it's actually shown to improve all kinds of elements of your life in all kinds of different ways. That is incredible. No, it's mad, that isn't it? Really, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. I've, I've never made that connection before. Okay, when life is not going so well, <laughs> yeah. and you just feel just a bit, just bleak, and, and you know, you're just losing kind of hope, what, what can we do? Well, I like the fact that you said losing hope, because weirdly, hope is the very thing we need to pick up in moments where things feel bleak. So that's the weird thing about hope, that hope kind of comes into play in the very moments where you feel a bit despairing and a bit hopeless. Right. And uh, the research seems to suggest that, that hopeful people believe four things. Basically, they believe that the future is better, mm -hmm. that, that we have to bring that about in some way, that you and I have a contribution to bringing about that better future. Yeah. There's loads of ways of getting there. So get really creative. What are all the different ways that you can make today better? Right. But then fourthly, all those ways are going to involve frustration, difficulty, effort in some way. Yeah. So that's what makes hope different from optimism. So optimism is waking up and going, I feel a bit bad, but today's going to be better. Mm. Hope is, I'm actually going to work and be quite strategic today about bringing about that better world. Okay, so give me a, a, just a, something really practical that I could really put kind of being grateful and that sense of hope into practice. Yeah. So one of the best ways of practicing hope is actually to think about um, how can you bridge between what you're doing today and where that's gonna lead you in the future. So this works in all kinds of contexts. Hope bridges from, I'm doing this right now, mm. but what I want to imagine is what happens when this finish, when this is done, right. okay. what's that gonna be like? What will this living room be like when I've yeah. finally finished decorating it? Yeah. Uh, what will work be like when I've finally got this bit of paperwork off the table? What will this relationship be like mm. when we finally sort out some of the stuff we're working through at the yeah. moment? So that's one really good way of that's using great. hope is actually to project ourselves into the future. Nice, I really like yeah. that. <laughs> so how is love kind of connected? One of the understandings of love in psychology is something called positivity resonance. The fact that we're kind of relating and talking to each other. If you stuck us both in a brain scanner right now, right. what you'd discover is that our brains are mirroring each other because we're connecting and we're thinking and we're, yeah. we're sort of working together. And the weird thing about that positivity resonance is that not only does it feel good now to make the connection, but it, it will leave us feeling good for a large part of the day, yeah. that everybody we speak to after this, they'll catch it, and yeah. anyone they speak to, 
they'll catch it too. And so it sort of ripples through social networks in that way. That is really powerful. And if you keep exposing yourself to that, so if you keep you know, adopting a loving attitude in some way, keep doing that, um, it has all kinds of health benefits, it, it, illnesses get better quicker, um, it leads to better heart rate, and all, all, just so many different things go on because we, we have those loving moments. Thank you so much, Roger. It's always really good to chat to you. I've got so much to take away. Oh, it's great to hear. Good to see you, Joanne. I, I've got to get back to work anyway. So hope to see you again. Yeah, definitely. See you in Lincoln. Take care. <laughs> wow, that was an amazing chat with Roger. I just, I just love everything he said, but particularly that thing of my physical well-being being linked to my gratitude. I'd never thought of that before. And I think a lot about exercise and healthy eating, but if I can actually address the way I think, that's actually gonna help my physical body too. But I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna take a moment to actually think hopefully about what's coming next before I rush back to the studio. Joe, you relax, just enjoy joy. We all need a bit of TLC. Now I've come here to North London and we're gonna talk a bit about emotional well-being. and I'm with Rosemary, who's gonna talk about her own journey and why it's so important for her. And Rosemary, first of all, tell us a little bit about what exactly you do. So I work as a clinical psychologist. Um, I do a mixture of uh, private work and NHS work. Um, my clinical work involves uh, working with people with mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, trauma, adjustment, bereavement, different, different things. So you're clear about putting those boundaries in between that working time and your own time, but we live in an increasingly busy world. Lots of demands on our time, whether we're at home or whether we're at work. How do you slow down and how important is it to your own emotional well-being that you, that you slow down? Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, time pressure is on us like never before. But this thing of slowing down, I feel sometimes people can make themselves a bit too busy because they feel a bit frightened of slowing down and paying attention to um, what, what else might be going on. And I think um, sometimes when you slow down, you notice things or you remember things and, and that can feel threatening or uncomfortable. So especially as a psychologist, you've got to be um, able to do that for yourself. How good for our well-being is being present in the moment. In some ways we lost the ability, the art of doing that and how important are those moments? A lot of this uh, talk that's around now about being present in the moment, like, so it comes from sort of this idea of mindfulness and, and being, being there for things. As a Christian, I find it's more having the time for prayer that I find key. So it's not necessarily, you know, we're all living busy lives. It might not be that you can do hours and hours, but I think taking moments of my day where I can turn my attention to God and connect. So it's not so much being present in the moment, but it is about connection. It's that being present with God that, that, that makes a difference there. What do you say though to those people who just say being busy, working hard, never switching off, it's just in my DNA. This is, this is who I am, this is how I operate, this is when I feel at my most comfortable, my most productive, and I, actually I, I don't like silence, I don't like stopping. What are the possible consequences for people who just find that so difficult to do? Yes, absolutely, and I think, you know, different strikes for different folks, and I think everyone is different and unique, so you have to find something that works for you. So maybe it's not um, being busy or overloaded, but it's it's being in action, it's having an activity, so 
that might be enjoying the outdoors, it might be running, it might be pursuing something. And for them that is restful, that's playful, that's enjoyable. For, for other people it, it might be silence and stillness that, that brings the rest. And I think it's being open to experimenting with, with, with different uh, ways of, of recharging and I think you know, in your question I think there is that sense of that, that there's the potential for burnout there's a potential for people to be slow, so depleted and, and there is there is that pressure I think the modern lives we're living where there's there's a lot of technology there's there's a lot of having to be switched on all the time it's pretty clear in the Bible where God stands on work and rest you know on the seventh day God rested but do you think as Christians and as people actually we've lost sight of the importance of a day of rest. I think that's becoming increasingly hard so if you think now shops are open it's busier, Sundays are busier, you have more options open to you to, to fill that day in the same way you would a Saturday or any day Monday to Friday. God's heart behind that was to give us a gift, to give us joy, to give us rest and peace and so, to do things that work for you on that day. Rosie thank you so much. Honestly, I've got so much to think about. I mean, I've got to head down south now to catch up with Joe, but there's lots for me to think about. And I, ju I just know in this whole area of creating time for yourself and as a parent, it's so important. But yeah, it's not always easy, but thank you so much. Great, thanks. All right, there he is. Come on, old boy, keep going, that's it. Good on you, sir. Actually running it. I know. Well, it's been it's been a long day. It's been a ride this one, hasn't it? it? Has. Let's be honest. It has. It's been a journey, and it is a journey. And you guys are on it. We're on it, and we're absolutely loving it, aren't we? Brilliant. Now this week it's been all about our emotions, and something that really struck me was the idea of you know when we're grateful, how that can really positively shape our emotions. It's just such a simple thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think there's something you can do about this because I did this with my boy, Ethan. It wasn't my idea, by the way, but it was a gratitude jar. Right. So the idea is once a day, you just write something you're grateful for. It can be something very simple like, my cereal was really nice this morning, which yeah. he did put in the jar. And then after a month, you look back mm. and I think it works for us grown-ups as well yeah. because it's just worth reminding ourselves that even when we go through some really tough things and it's been a rubbish month, a rubbish few weeks, go back into that jar, pick out, and you will find that even throughout a tough period, there were moments when you had stuff to be grateful for and that can change anything. So I just encourage you, do something practical. Next time on The Wellbeing Journey, we're looking into spiritual wellbeing. We'll be heading to Guildford, London, and also getting some thoughts from across the pond in the USA. We'll see you then.